Okay, we are still in our series, Eternal Life, What's Next? And we've been talking a lot about what does heaven look like? Or what will heaven look like? Because heaven's going to, as we began to see last time, changes when the new earth and the new heaven come together after the millennium. Now today, I want to take things in a slightly different direction. I want to tell some of what God is doing around the world today. And I think you can find this very encouraging. And I know it may seem like I'm kind of jumping from one topic to another over these last four or five sessions, but believe me, there is a reason behind it, okay? So I'd like for us to start by looking at the book of Joel. And this is really our primary passage for today. The book of Joel, chapter 2, verses 28 and 29. Let me read it. It will come about after this that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. And your daughters and sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on the male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. So somehow in the last days, God's going to pour his spirit. It's going to be on all my mankind, not just Jews. It's going to be men and women, slaves, free people. It's just going to be massive. Okay. And that's an important prophecy concerning the last days. Then on the day of Pentecost, which we can read about in Acts 2, um, we see that this is quoted again. And really the day of Pentecost was also, in fact, it was more commonly called back then the day of first fruits because it represented the very beginning of the harvest time. And so they take the first fruits and they would dedicate it to the Lord in, um, in recognition that he was going to bring about a much larger harvest at the end of the fall. And, uh, and so, um, God, the day of first fruits or the day of Pentecost is when God began to pour out his spirit on mankind. But still, it was just the first fruits. The real, um, harvest was going to come at the very end of the age. So let's kind of take a look at Acts 2, 17. Almost word for word, it says, and it shall be in the last days, God says, that I'll pour forth of my spirit on all mankind and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I really believe as we've been talking about in the last month, that God wants to fill his house. He wants to bring about many, many people. He wants to bring many, many people into his kingdom from all nations, all mankind, and all peoples of the world. Not that the people of this world, including ourselves, deserve his abundant mercy and grace and love, but because he loves us. And I think that's exactly what we're seeing today is that there is an outpouring of God's spirit and God is revealing himself. In fact, as we will see, he's giving them a glimpse 
of that other world that we know as heaven. So let's start by talking about how there is an unprecedented wave, a tidal wave, really, of dreams and visions that God is giving some people today, mainly those who don't know him. A number of years ago, some of you might remember if you're part of Emmanuel Fellowship, there's a man from Morocco named Mohammed who lived around here. And some of us at Emmanuel Fellowship began to reach out to this Muslim man who is Muslim. We had him into his homes. We shared a lot with him about Jesus. I know we, uh, Judy and I, we had him over for Thanksgiving once. And, uh, and we shared a lot about the, about Jesus, about the gospel. But to be honest, he just couldn't get it. He couldn't see it. It was truly a case of a veil being over his mind and his heart. Well, several years later, and we kept reaching out to him, uh, he calls me one day. It was a Saturday morning. I still remember that. He says, I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you. And he comes to our house and he shares about a dream that he had of Jesus. And from there, and all of a sudden, the veil was taken off and we were able to lead him to Jesus that very same morning. Well, several months later, I'd, after getting together with him, he, he spoke Arabic. That was his first language. His second language was French. His third language was rough English and especially reading it. And so I've, you know, at times I felt kind of frustrated, kind of sharing God's word with him. And I took him down to visit a friend in Boulder. And this is a man who fluent in Arabic, actually for over 50 years, he had been working with Muslims around the world, leading him to Christ. So he asked Muhammad, well, tell me, tell me what's happened. And of course, one of the things he starts off with was his dream. And after listening to his story, uh, George turns to me, that was my friend's name. And he says, you know, this is amazing. I've been cataloging people, Muslims who've had dreams. And he was at that point, he was well over a thousand people that he had interviewed who had had dreams of Jesus. And he said, it's amazing. I mean, I know there's differences, but almost all of them include about three or four things. He said, first of all, Jesus is in all of them. You know, it's not God. It's not Mohammed. It's not an angel. It's Jesus. Second, he's almost always dressed in white and there's always a bright light shining around him. Another thing is that there's an unbelievable peace that surrounds him. And then the fourth thing is that Jesus always tells the person something like, I want you to follow me. Or, you know, you need to be, you know, I want you to make a commitment to me. It was always something like that. It was a call, very similar to the way Jesus would make a call to the disciples uh, when he was here. You know, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Um, now, this wasn't the first time I'd spoken with someone who'd received a dream of Jesus. Back in the late, maybe mid-90s, you know, uh, there's a group of us that we went to Turkey and we went to Baku, Azerbaijan. And in Azerbaijan, we met a young woman. She was a Christian. She, she was in her young 20s. And just about a year or so before, she had watched the Jesus film. A lot of you probably watched it. And uh, because it was in Azerbaijan, which is kind of more of a Muslim country, and this is right after the Iron Curtain fell. And so there's a, 
there was an immediate openness to things. And so they actually showed there in Baku, the capital, the Jesus film. The only thing is that they, when he died, they cut it off. In other words, they missed the resurrection part. They kind of cut that part off. And uh, uh, she was really impacted by this movie. In fact, she, she said, I cried and cried because how could they do this to such an innocent man, a man that was so good and generous? And she went to sleep that night and she had a dream. And it, had, it was Jesus. And he told her, you know, don't worry. I'm not dead. I'm still alive. And she woke up and she was, uh, you know, uh, sort of mystified by that. It was a very vivid dream. And on the way to work, she happened, she was walking along. She passed by an old, I guess, Russian Orthodox church that she'd never really noticed before, but it had a cross on there. And she thought, oh no, that's, you know, that's, that's the cross that Jesus died on. So she goes in there and she asks, you know, uh, you know, she tells about her dream and everything. And they told her, I'm not sure who it was. I can't remember the details, but yes, that's right. Jesus, he, he resurrected after that. That's the other part of the story. And she became a Christian and, uh, and, Actually, I was talking to someone a few years ago who knew her, and they said that, yes, yeah, she and her husband, they are missionaries somewhere in Central Asia, you know. Uh, another story, and these are just stories that I'm familiar with, you know, on a one-to-one -one basis, but there's uh, um, a number of years ago, probably about 15 years ago, I was with, um, or I got to know a couple, it was an older couple, you might say, Mike, you're an older couple too, but they were older. And this is a few years ago, uh, George and Alex and Birch. And they had been missionaries for years in Turkey and also some of the neighboring countries because a lot of the Turks had kind of gone into some of the other, um, you know, nations and cities surrounding Turkey. And he told me that they were in Bulgaria once in a city and they ran across some, well, what had happened was there were several dozen people in the same apartment building, all Muslims, that received a vision of Jesus, the exact same vision on the exact same night or, or, or dream. And so they started kind of talking and they said, oh, I had that dream too. And so they kind of got together. And then about that time, George and Allison kind of arrived on the scene and they actually uh, were able to kind of start a church with these Muslim background believers, all of which had had a dream of Jesus. And, uh, and, and this has been happening around the world for probably 20, 25 years, but it's increasing in number. Um, uh, I know that several years ago, Judy and I, we went to uh, Lebanon. We were there with, um, you know, with a ministry that's working with Syrian refugees because Syria, a lot of the Syrians during that real bad time, it's still bad in Syria, sort of flocked over into Lebanon. And again, story after story of Muslims receiving dreams. And, I, and I've read since then that Literally thousands of Syrians have received dreams of Jesus. And, uh, and I, I actually, this ministry I was telling you about, I'm actually, um, it's a ministry, it's called Horizons International. It's, uh, 
ministry to Muslims. Uh, I'm on the board there, have been for a while. And one of the things that we're, we're seeing is that so many people, we're talking about Muslims are coming to the Lord from Saudi Arabia, Arabia Iraq, Iran, um, you know, Syria, really all over the Islamic world. And especially there's been a significant jump in people who've been coming since the beginning of the pandemic. You might say, well, you know, I, I thought the pandemic was something, you know, that wasn't, you know, wasn't all that good. And well, God uses things that aren't that good. And I don't know whether it was just because they didn't have enough. They just had a lot more time at home, or maybe there was kind of a desperation of what is the world coming to. But the people listening to podcasts and um, satellite videos and online ministry has just, it's been exponential in the last couple of years. And again, many of them are saying, and I received this dream of Jesus. One recent study determined that about 25% of all Muslims coming to Jesus in the last 15 years have had a dream or a vision that was instrumental in them coming to know Jesus. So now obviously not everyone who's had a dream has kind of made a full commitment to the Lord and is serving him right now. It's, um, you know, it's kind of like the 10 lepers that Jesus healed. You know, uh, uh, 10 were healed, were touched by Jesus, but really what? Only one came back. Now, in this case, it's more than 10%. You know, it's a large, I'd say a majority of the people receiving dreams are now people following Jesus. Now, the same thing is beginning to happen to those who are Jews, especially those living in Israel. And now it's beginning to happen among Hindus too. Now, I don't personally know of first count, uh, first-hand accounts of Hindus, but I've read that. But I do know about Jews, and I certainly know about the Muslims. And to me, this sounds like what was prophesied in the book of Joel, doesn't it? And it's one of the reasons I feel like, yes, we are in the last days. In fact, I think what is happening with this whole dreams and vision, because sometimes it's a vision, sometimes probably more often than not, it's a dream. But to me, there's, it's overwhelming evidence that God is alive, that his desire for us to follow him is real, and that the focus needs to be on Jesus. I mean, one cannot explain away all these dreams. I mean, maybe one or two, but when you start talking about tens of thousands around the world among different people, not knowing each other, speaking different languages, you have to conclude God is doing something. This is truly amazing. And again, most of these people had never even heard of anyone else having a dream until they did, and maybe they found out when they talked to someone else. Something else is happening. You know, when I do a series like this, I try to make my focus on the Word of God. What does the Word of God say about heaven, about hell, about what happens, what is heaven like? But I also read other books that others have written about the topic, especially from reliable sources. 
And I've done this with the topic of heaven as well. One book I kept seeing was by a man named John Burke. He's a pastor. And the book he wrote is called Imagine Heaven. And then there's a long subtitle. But if you want to get it, just look John Burke, Imagine Heaven. And this is a book about, they call them NDEs, near-death experiences, and other supernatural experiences that people are receiving. And again, there's been a large increase. And I have to admit, when I first kind of got the book on Canva, I was a little bit skeptical about it. But it was recommended by people that I respect. And then as I began to read the introduction, I, I, I liked his spirit, you know. But basically, he looks at a number of stories where people have died, maybe for five minutes, maybe 20 minutes. I think one was like 90 minutes. They were all clinically dead. But then they were restless, uh, re restless, 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 anyway, they were kind of brought back up, usually by doctors. And when they finally came back to life, they share what they saw in heaven. And it's amazing. They describe in detail what they saw. And so this pastor, the author of this book, has examined stories of hundreds of people going briefly to heaven. And he also started kind of looking at, he saw that a lot of other people, in fact, there's, there's, there's this one doctor, he had studied over 10,000 people. And in this case, he decided he would not include stories of people who were making some type of profit or gain. In other words, if they wrote a book about it, not that there's anything wrong with that. Probably some of you have heard about some books that have been written. But he tried not to include that in his analysis because he thought, well, you know, the motivation could be to embellish something for the sake of, you know, you know, selling books or, you know, speaking engagements or something like that, you know. And, um, and he tried to verify stories as much as possible by talking to family members or doctors and, of course, the individuals themselves. Now, he says up front, I cannot vouch for every story that I'm mentioning, you know, uh, but he was, he was impressed by the patterns he saw, that the similarities, kind of like with the visions and dreams of, of uh, you know, of Jesus by Muslims and Jews and maybe even now Hindus, you know, and, uh, and he said, it's amazing, there are thousands of recorded stories out there. Many are young children, but some were scientists and doctors who had been skeptical of such things. And he especially be became interested in what they had to say. But the pattern, not always, but was very similar to this. The person would kind of see themselves leaving their body. You know, you've heard out-of-body experiences. Often they could look down and see where they were, their body at the scene of an accident or maybe on an operating table. For example, one man... After he came back, he, he talked about, as I was going through, I was kind of watching and he kind of named how many people were there operating on him. And, he, and, uh, and, and, and by the way, one of the things that happens, all the stories he talks about is that everyone who kind of has this glimpse into heaven has a very keen sense of details. And he, he said, yeah, and there's one doctor, he didn't have scrubbies on his shoes. You know, and for some reason that kind of struck me. Well, you know, uh, you know.
one doctor said, yeah, I was in such a hurry. I forgot to put my scrubbies on my shoes, you know, and uh, how did he know that? You know, but that kind of got the attention. There's another man. He was talking. He was also in the hospital and he saw himself leave. And he saw him kind of circle around the hospital. And he said on one of the ledges, he saw an old tennis shoe, just one shoe. And uh, and and afterwards, the doctor was so fascinated by this, by his story. And that was just the first part of the story that he starts going around and looking at all the ledges in the hospital and almost finished. But all of a sudden he saw, yeah, there's a, there's a, a sneaker, you know, there on the ledge. Uh, so that is often the case. People kind of see themselves going up and then they, not always, but often they see themselves kind of going in some type of a tunnel like thing where they just kind of speed through and they always say it's very peaceful. And then they arrive at this place of perfect peace. And, um, Jesus, always there light uh you know uh he was usually dressed in white clothes and again the thing that people always mention amazing peace joy acceptance that they can't describe you know they said words can't describe this and uh and even those who've kind of experienced kind of a rotten life you know maybe they had all sorts of trauma or maybe abuse or bitterness or unforgiveness one of the things they say is that that's just gone. It's like, it's lifted. I felt so free. You know, there's, there's no such thing as condemnation and guilt. And of course, we know that that's certainly true. Jesus said that. And as I was reading that, this part, I thought, you know, that's probably what the woman who's caught in adultery probably felt. She was probably, she felt, she was probably condemning herself. And of course, a lot of other people were too. She probably felt guilty. She probably had a messed up life. But what does Jesus say? You know, he says, where are those who condemn you? There's no one left. He says, well, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Can you, I, I can't imagine probably just the, the burden that probably just went up from her at that time. And that's what I thought of as I was kind of reading some of these accounts. Now, I should probably kind of mention, too, that in reading some of these accounts, many, maybe even most of them, were not really Christians, at least until this point. But Jesus sent them back and says, no, I want you to go back. Almost all of them say, I want to stay. No, you've got to go back. And again, the message was, sin no more. But we get a picture of Jesus who is loving and merciful. Another thing that was a theme all the way through is it was a place of, it was bright. Gardens everywhere. People were there. People they knew were there. Everyone was happy, enjoying their new life. Uh, one story that kind of caught my attention. There's a five-year-old girl and she had had meningitis and had fallen into a coma. And after coming back, she was beginning to kind of share what she experienced, you know, there in heaven and, and, uh, and, you know, talk about Jesus and this and that. And her parents were kind of like, um, yeah, yeah, not sure. And then they kind of said, and oh, and I saw my sister and uh, she came up to me and she said, hi, I'm Retchy. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. I think it's Dutch. 
And, uh, and she said, I'm your sister. And, uh, I was named after our grandmother and, and kind of starts talking about it. And I think the father and mother kind of just turned white at this time. In fact, they had to excuse themselves. I mean, I think they were just so shaken up because when the, her older sister had died, they determined that they weren't going to tell their younger children anything about that until they got older. And they never mentioned it. And then all of a sudden, they're kind of, you know, she's she's talking about her older sister. She knew her name. She knew how she was named. She knew other details. Um, many people talked about, and I, I thought this is kind of fascinating. I don't know why, but about colors, unbelievable colors that overwhelmed their senses. In, in fact, uh, a lot of people talked about how they seem to almost have additional senses, but almost all of them talked about the colors are so bright. And, um, and about a week or so ago, I read this article about someone who had four cones in their eyes instead of the normal three that we all have. And this article said that, you know, someone with three cones, which is most of us, you know, they can maybe see a million shades of colors. But if you add a fourth cone, it goes up exponentially to where you see a hundred million shades of colors. And this was this this woman was they were just talking about how you know she just sees things that nobody else sees, and it's because I guess she has four cones. And uh, and I went back to kind of look at some of these stories that people were saying. And let me just kind of give a couple of quotes here. One it says. I saw colors I would never have believed existed. I've never ever felt more alive than I did then. I was home. I was where I belonged. I wanted to be there more than I ever wanted to be anywhere on earth. And others kind of said the same thing, that the colors were just so vivid. And, uh, and I thought, you know what? It's kind of interesting that you know a person can have a, a fourth cone. Actually, in just kind of reading about it, people who are colorblind only have two cones, and that's why they can't see that. But actually, some creatures that God has made have more, like the mantis shrimp has 12 cones, and the blue bottle butterfly has, this was just kind of discovered a few years ago, I think 2016, has 15 different cones. Now, because these are insects, you know, or shrimp, it's kind of hard to do a lot of experiments and kind of see exactly what they're saying. But biologically, they've got all these cones. And I got to thinking, and this wasn't in the book, but I got to thinking, well, you know, that makes sense because we're all going to have new bodies. And with new bodies, what's, it could be very likely that we have more than the typical three cones. Maybe, maybe we have seven, maybe we have 10. I, I, I don't know. But it does seem to line up with scripture too in Revelation 21, 22, where it talks about the brightness and it's describing in details the, the stones that are there that to me kind of look alike, but they were very in sharp contrast to John who saw the vision in Revelation, you know, in, in the book of Revelation, you know. So um, the book also talked about uh, I think he had, he interviewed, I think, three people who had been, who were blind from birth and who, when they almost died or when they did die, you know, I guess, you know, 
all of a sudden they could see. And it was just so overwhelming. And, uh, and then there's a deaf person as well. Now, I want to add here too that the author does say that some experiences were not so pleasant. Actually, some people actually got a glimpse of hell, you know. Now, we do not form our ideas about God or heaven, about what dreams, visions, or out-of-body experiences that some people have. It's the Word of God that we learn from and we get our ideas, we get truth from, you know. And also, you know, my understanding, I think a lot of people probably get obsessed by, uh, you know, following these things and, uh, and, uh, and trying to compare them and analyze them. And, uh, you know, I don't think that's, I, I don't think that should be our focus in life. So you might be asking, so why do you bring this up? Well, because I think it's just evidence that God is giving glimpses. He's opened the windows briefly for people into this other world that we know is heaven. God loves people. He wants his house filled. And many of the people we're talking about, especially the Muslims, they do not know about Christ. You know, they're not Christians. And he's going out of his way in these last days to open people's eyes, such as a Muhammad, such as this woman in Baku and Azerbaijan, such as these people who are living in this apartment building in Bulgaria, the same apartment building. And I think all this should give us even more confidence that the Bible is true and that he has prepared something beautiful for us, something we can't explain. And, uh, and I know some of these dreams and some of the things that people have, you know, uh, near-death experiences, you might say, well, I don't know, that's not quite right, or that's not right, and I understand that. But you can't explain just the massive number of people. It's not coincidence, because so much of it just confirms what the Bible says. You know, there's one girl, I think she was six or seven, she grew up in an atheist home in Eastern Europe. And uh, I can't remember exactly how she died, but she came back and she started immediately talking about all these things that she saw and, and, uh, and experienced. And by the way, it seems like when people have this, it seems like it's time it just goes on and on there, even though it might only be five minutes. And, uh, and they took her to some people who were religious in their minds and, uh, and it happened to be Christians. And uh, they said it was amazing the accuracy of what this girl perceived about heaven and about Jesus, you know, and themes such as forgiveness and all sorts of, this was a girl didn't even know who Jesus was. Didn't even know who Jesus is because she grew up in an atheist home only five or six years old. I think another thing reason for sharing all this is that I think it shows us that heaven will be beyond what we can imagine. You know, there's not going to be any boredom. You know, almost everyone wants to stay. Everyone kind of says, there's so much I wanted to kind of, I wanted to see more. I wanted to talk to more people. I wanted to explore. I just wanted to soak it in. And um, 
I know in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, it says, But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered into the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. Brothers and sisters, there's a lot we don't know. And maybe some of the stuff I've kind of shared in the last few weeks from the scriptures or maybe this, maybe some of it might not be exactly right. You know, we'll find out, you know, uh, I've never been there. I can't say, but I do have this growing sense that God's preparing something for us that is beyond anything we can describe. You know, uh, actually, one person kind of wrote this, you know, he said everything was brilliant, vibrant, ecstatic, stunning. I could heap on one adjective after another to describe what this world looked and felt like, but they'd all fall short. And I don't know all the details of what heaven's going to be like, but it's going to be brilliant, vibrant, stunning, and it's going to be beyond anything that human words here can describe. And uh, and and I do know that a lot of these things are really real because in the case of these visions that are being given, these dreams, you know, where Jesus comes to people, you know, obviously, and by the way, they, they line up with a lot of these near-death experiences as well as far as what Jesus looks like, how he presents himself, all that. It's amazing. And I do know God is working. And I do know God is pouring his spirit out on mankind. All mankind, not just Jews, not just Christians, boom, everybody. Why? Because he wants his house filled. Let's pray. Father, we cannot begin to comprehend all that you've prepared for us. But Lord, just a little bit that we can read from your word, the little bit of that we kind of hear of where you've sort of opened the windows a little bit and let people kind of get a glimpse. Lord, it's, it's all the same. And it all points to something wonderful and beautiful and amazing and incredible that you are preparing for us. And Lord, we just want to thank you for that. Thank you, Lord. Amen. I just want to end with a quote from C.S. Lewis. And of course, C.S. Lewis, he's the author of the Chronicles of Narnia, a lot of other good books. And he actually talks a lot about heaven and the next life. But he kind of said, if you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. Aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you'll get neither. And I think those are wise words. Thank you.